Welcome to the Mind Talks podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Our special guest is a middle distance runner hailing from the US. She is a three-time All-American that also attended the prestigious Stanford University. She is currently fourth on the Stanford all-time list in the 1500 meters. Without further ado, a warm welcome to our special guest, Miss Rebecca Mira. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. I was just saying this is the first time I've spoken internationally on a podcast. We have an eight-hour time difference, <laughs> and it's pretty great making it work. Um, but no, doing well. I'm actually in the middle of a big move, um, which is is always fun, <laughs> but uh, it's good. Yeah, yeah. We are we are super blessed um, that you yeah that we are your first international podcast and hope it's um the first of many for yourself so um i was doing some research on you rebecca imagine so we normally start off as our uh, guests regular guests know with um your first living sporting memory however um mm-hmm. as we was doing some research i saw that actually your story went viral so your story went viral about you helping quote unquote, a terrified elderly couple. Can you just speak a little bit about that um, for our listeners? Yeah, happy to. Gosh, it's it's been a little while. That was a year and a half ago, the very first week that we had a COVID case that hit my town in in Bend, Oregon. Um, Yeah, I was just going to the grocery store on a normal day and there was a couple that was in their car and we'd just gotten the first COVID case and there was just a lot of frenzy around what is COVID, what's happening um, right before all the shutdowns. And yeah, they were nervous to, to go in the store and buy their groceries and they asked, I mean, they flagged me down. I think I was just the person that happened to walk by and asked if I could get their groceries and gave me money and got their groceries for them, put them back in the car, didn't think anything of it. Um, and then I was encouraged to, to tweet about the experience later and never could I have imagined the power of the Twitter sphere and, and what would come out of it. Um, and then the fact that we're still in the pandemic a year and a half later, although hopefully things are looking brighter now. But yeah, Absolutely. it's been that was a crazy experience. I I, I never found out who the people were. Um, yeah. I, I didn't even think to give them my phone number at the time. I actually regretted it later, but it was it was quite the experience few weeks of my life of my phone blowing up and, and Twitter blowing up. I had friends and and professionals like helping me manage my account. It was really something. They they must have been so grateful. Yeah, I mean, I think I was just in the right place at the right time. Um, I've said this so many times, but pretty much anyone I know, had they been the one walking by, they would have done the same thing. It just happened to be that I was there. And it's funny, I was actually in not a very good mood that day. I just come from practice and I was tired and it was cold and I'd worn shorts and I regretted it. <laughs> and uh, it was March, March in Oregon. Um, and yeah, I just kind of immediately kind of perked up when I saw these folks that were afraid to go inside the grocery store and I I hadn't thought twice about it. Um, And that really was the first moment I thought about like the profound impact that the pandemic was having on on certain groups of people and has continued to have on certain groups of people. So um, yeah, I guess that will be an experience I'll never forget. Absolute beautiful story to start off um, today's podcast. So um, we're going to start how we normally start. So your first living sporting memory, either playing or watching? Playing or watching. Now I have to rethink it because (laughs) I think, you know what? I want to say it was like, I grew up in Los Angeles and I want to say it was like watching Shaq and Kobe play, like play basketball in the Lakers or some other like professional sport memory. But actually for me, it was, gosh, it must've been like four years old or something. And I was watching my older cousin play soccer and I had never been signed up for sports before. And yeah. it was the first moment I said something to my parents, like, hey, I, I want to play soccer. <laughs> I want to do sports. And I think they thought I was either too young or hadn't thought of it. And I was kind of the oldest kid. And um, yeah, I just like remember how cool the uniforms looked and everyone running around the field. And it looked like so much fun. I mean, I love to play tag. <laughs> so um, yeah, I was actually watching my cousin Lindsay that made me want to, to be an athlete in the first place. But yeah, I grew up watching a lot of sports and um, big, big fan of LA and Boston teams. So, and, and once you started playing soccer, was there other sports that you played at the same time as well? Yeah, so soccer was a big one, um, but I grew up swimming. I played a lot of tennis. Um, I was in this program called Junior Lifeguards growing up in Los Angeles, like kind of little mini lifeguards in training from the time I was like eight years old. 
And that was a lot of swimming and running. And that's actually how between that and a little bit of soccer, I found distance running um, because I compete in this quote unquote distance run every year from the time I was eight. Um, And it was this little like sand run on the hard pack of the beach where the kind of water washes over. Um, And they said it was, I don't know, like a mile. Definitely wasn't a mile. (laughs) It was less than that. But um, yeah, that was the first time I kind of fell in love with with racing and with running. Okay, so um, Ed and I are both massive tennis fans. So as soon as you mentioned tennis, my antennas rose. Um, So how long did you play tennis? And um, was there anything that you learned? And why didn't you um, pursue it? That's a good question. So I, my kind of mom took us, my sister and I to a tennis club. And um, I, I grew up learning from a young age. That was actually the only sport my mom played growing up. And it was the only sport okay. as kind of a woman in the 70s or girl, she had the opportunity to play. And so she was really excited to teach my sister and I. I never played on a formal tennis team. Um, I okay. think that I just wasn't, my hand-eye coordination wasn't good enough. I was good with the <laughs> foot-eye coordination playing soccer. And then I needed no yeah. coordination whatsoever to be a track athlete, um, <laughs> or at least to be a distance runner. Some, some track athletes have great hand-eye coordination um but yeah I mean to this day like I still love it it's kind of the sport I play the most with my family where kind of my mom my dad and my sister and I like can all actually do something together that and wiffle ball which is our new kind of favorite thing or it's not wiffle ball sorry pickleball um yeah but but yeah I mean I love watching it I've been a big fan for a long time a lot of my family lives in Switzerland and so we're like huge Roger Federer fans um and my mom's a big (laughs) tennis fan so I keep up with the sport (laughs) yeah and and when it comes to sport, you obviously your career has been in track. How did um, you go about joining a club? Yeah, so when I was in uh, middle school, which is kind of like age eleven to thirteen, I um, was quite good in our physical education class <laughs> at the mile, and so I got thrown into run a mile on the track. Um, and there was where I met a couple of um, coaches of a local youth club team. And I just joined the team. And really, it was like going to competitions like, I don't know, five times in the year and going and running a mile or two at <laughs> practice during the week. Um, and then when I was in high school, um, which I don't know what that would be in England, upper school, um, kind of age 14 plus, um, I joined yeah. a... Um, I joined the high school team. And so I never was, other than in, in middle school and I was younger, I never was on a club. All of the kind of high school training was was enough to get recruited to go go run in college and, and definitely sufficient enough. But um, yeah, so it was really just walking onto the high school team <laughs> that turned me into the track athlete that I am today. Do you remember the early stages where it went from just running normally to actually having to think about how to pace yourself and tactically, um, you know, start racing properly? When did it just move? Do you remember those early stages? And how was that for you from a developmental um, perspective? Yeah, it took took me a long time. I mean, the first time I can remember racing was was those sand races um, when I was younger on the beach. And then when I ran that mile for the first time when I was 11 years old, and when I was 11, I ran a six-minute mile. I ran 6.02. Never forget that. I was so proud. But I was so upset I didn't break six minutes. But I went out mm. so fast. I mean, I ran as fast as I could that first lap. And then it was like me paying <laughs> for it and getting slower and slower and slower the next three laps. Um, yeah. And no one really told me otherwise. I mean, I think it's probably a good thing. I had no idea what I was doing. I was enjoying it. I was like learning from my mistakes here and there. But it wasn't until high school I had a coach that really tried to talk to me about strategy and like how to run a race properly. And that's when I learned the the sit and kick strategy, the like, don't lead a race until you're really certain you're going to win. I'm like, okay. And he was like, so you really should stay behind people for the first three laps and don't go crazy. And then that last lap, you can run as fast as you can. And I, that was the first time, like, I actually had real race advice and learned how to like race a little smarter. And I think that that carried me through for for a long time. But um, also, as I got better and better, I gosh, I had a lot of pre-race anxiety. I really, really struggled when I was in high school, feeling like all of the expectations were on me. So having a plan and a race strategy, a little bit of one at least helped. But yeah, it also took took a long time to work through the the get to the place again where I was having fun running track. How how much did it affect your performance when you were going through this anxiety? Because someone like myself, that was a major issue mm-hmm. for me when I was younger. Competing. Yeah. How how did you deal with it? Well, how did you move forward oh, from it? Gosh, 
Yeah, it took me a long time. Um, I really struggled with it all of high school. I just felt like I was really, really good as a freshman in my first year. And so that was kind of a lot of, I was playing on the track every time I was on the track. And by the end, like I'd gotten good and I had run so well, I'd run so fast as a freshman. I ran a 451 mile that first year and I was 14 that I just felt like the expectations of the world and the team and the community, like in the town newspaper were just all on my shoulders and I didn't handle it well. And I didn't really have a lot of help in learning how to handle it well. I didn't run as fast even for the next couple of years. Um, I'd have to talk myself into getting to the starting line of a race. It was easier in cross country when I knew I had teammates counting on me, like I had to finish the race or run well or else kind of for the team. But track was, I really didn't like it. I spent three years in high school, like really struggling through track season. Cause for me, that felt like this is just for me, this is an individual thing and I'm not enjoying it. Why am I doing this? Um, and it actually took going to college, getting a scholarship and getting hurt um, to really find a love for track again and to appreciate like my body and what it can do. <laughs> and um, yeah, and also working with with a sports psychologist over years and, and just not even a sports psychologist, just a proper psychologist to like kind of work through those feelings of anxiety and turn them into like motivation and power. But yeah, it took close to a decade <laughs> to get to a place where wow. I almost always now go to a starting line excited and, and ready to go, including at the, you know, U.S. Olympic trials. So long time. So I'm I'm so intrigued because I think the first thing that comes to mind is that where does it stem from? Where did the anxiety stem from? Is it, is it from your own expectations? Now, I know you mentioned a few things, you know, the weight of the community mm-hmm. and your own expectations. But in hindsight, was it just um, intrinsic pressure? Or in hindsight, did you get pressure from maybe members of the community, maybe your coaches who were putting, you know, this pressure on you and maybe they didn't understand and acknowledge what it was actually doing um, to you. Yeah, um, I think it was definitely both. I am I can be very harsh on myself. Um, I set really high expectations for myself. And when I saw the kinds of times I could run and the ideas were in my head of like, man, I could be a national champion. Like I could go run in college. Like that really... Um, like just was a lot of myself and me putting pressure on myself. Um, But I mean, it definitely came externally too. Like my parents are really competitive. They got very excited with how good I was and and knew I could get a scholarship to college and and continue running. Um, I even wanted to quit my freshman year I, I was having such a hard time there was also a really mean girl on the team who was kind of a bully and I was struggling with her and my dad told me I couldn't quit which and he, he now says don't you thank me for that I'm like, well maybe <laughs> I, I do love track and I'm glad I stayed in it but that was hard um but yeah I think my coaches didn't really know how to handle it um I think at one point they so when they'd break down the cross country scores and how we could do really well at a state championship they'd they'd put the number of points next to each person's name or range of points that they think we could get um and low score and cross country wins and they put one next to my name like i'm going to win Mm -hmm. and that was like i I think they didn't realize it but that would like freak me out Mm -hmm. like oh my goodness like if i if i don't win (laughs) then i'm like Mm -hmm. not living up to their expectations Um, And then, yeah, it was also just the team and the community. Like I'd never been in the local paper before. And then I was in the local paper and the reporter would call me after like half of my races. And I just, I didn't take a lot of enjoyment out of track because I felt like I had to live up to the expectations of my coaches and my parents and my teammates and, and, and the community. And if I didn't run the race I was supposed to run in my head, it was what I had to do. Like then Mm. I was, I was disappointing someone and that freaked me out. Was it straightforward for you to start speaking to a sports psychologist or was that something that took time for you to to get to that point? It took a lot of time. Um, It actually took me going to college and getting hurt um, for me to finally kind of speak to someone about like struggling and coming back from an injury and feeling like I was never going to be going to be good enough again. And that's when we finally dove into some of the pre-race anxiety and I I actually ran a lot of my races in college coming back from injuries and so I think in a way like the anxiety could have gotten worse but that was a time in which I was able to kind of flip it on its head and be able to like like I said before use it as a as a superpower like you know there's not much I can do I didn't get all the training in I needed to get but like I'm gonna throw myself out there and like be the most powerful person mentally on the starting line and like maybe that'll get me somewhere and it often did (laughs) it worked and 
Um, like, believe it or not, I have a lot of the injuries to thank for that. Also to thank for, you know, getting me in to see a psychologist. Um, and now I, I regularly work with one now who's, who's fantastic and has continued to help me like kind of hone in on those skills. So, yeah, you alluded to it. Um, so, yeah, I read another interview of you where you did say patience is your your superpower. <laughs> so um, can you give a specific time where you really had to demonstrate patience? So not necessarily for your injuries, but just any time in your career where you really had to activate your quote unquote, your superpower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gosh, plenty of times. Um, if I think one from this past year, uh Exactly a year ago, I sprained my ankle very badly, like went to urgent care and thought I'd broken my ankle. Um, and this is now that within, you know, 10 months of the Olympic trials to try to make the Olympic team. And I spent those two months hurt. I tried running so many times. It was painful. I couldn't do it. And then as soon as I got back to running, I developed Achilles problems on that same side. And now two months outside of Olympic trials, I've had like a really up and down year. And I decided yep. instead of running through it, I wanted to take like 10 days totally off. Mm. Um, and it was such a hard choice. And actually, it wasn't coach imposed. It was like, I think this is what I need to do. And I need to get treatment on it if I'm going to have a chance to even run at the Olympic trials. And that was not a decision that Rebecca, even like two or three years ago, <laughs> could have made. But it was a choice that I knew I had to make. And um, I was I was as patient <laughs> as I could possibly be. I spent a lot of time in the pool and... To be honest, yeah. like I was amazed at how much my, my body came around that really helped me deal with my, my Achilles and my ankle problem at the time. And um, I ended up, you know, not making the Olympic team, but having a great Olympic trials experience and then had a lot of great racing over the summer. So if I hadn't done that, I don't know if I would have even even gotten there. So that's a, a good example, I guess, for me from this past year. Do you think you would have responded differently? Let's say the same thing happened um, for Rio. Um approach from Rio do you think you would have responded the same not making the team oh gosh I didn't even make the Olympic trials in 2016 so it's hard for me to even like think about comparing like I I tried to make the trials um I was healthy that year I really thought I had a shot and I ended up being like nine seconds off of the qualifier in the 1500 which is a lot um I wasn't even really close um so it's hard for me to even put myself in in those shoes but something I did do uh, the year before in 2015 was I had a femoral stress fracture I had broken my femur I didn't know it yet but I really wanted to run through it and go to the NCAA championship and I tried really hard to continue to run through it and I actually had to be like stopped before I got to the starting line because I was just gimping everywhere so needless to say I don't think I could have made that decision or that smart of a choice um, nor could I have like dealt with you know, the feelings of, of, I don't know, of disappointment or maybe not living up to, to what I had hoped um, at the time too. But I wasn't even good enough to be there. So that's a that's a really big five-year turnaround. Okay. Um, I want to touch on um, training. So mm-hmm. we haven't had many middle distance runners on and I'm what? really intrigued because <laughs> when you have a lot of sprinters, you know yeah. that, you know, they do a lot of sprint training, but mm-hmm. a lot of them, they all, some sprint um athletes they do 400 meters as well just to help Mm -hmm. them um so i'm really intrigued do you do any sprint training as a middle distance runner uh a little bit but every middle distance runner is different and i will say the training can be really different even between the 800 and the 1500 the 800 is like this really cool and weird event where like sprinters meet distance runners and like (laughs) people who do total polar opposite training will race each other i mean someone who runs 70 miles a week and someone who like specifically is a sprinter and power lifts will run in the same race and often get similar or even the same results um so that's quite interesting i'm more on the distance runner side um i run you know 50 to 60 miles a week um, I do some sprint training, but I can't say it's exactly what like a hundred or 200 meter sprinter does. Um, mm. we do like speed development. I will put on my spikes and like run some hard hundreds or one fifties, um, just to kind of feel the speed and kind of keep that, um, as a continuous thing throughout the year. And then, um, I don't know if this is considered sprint training, but I do lift, um, a couple times a week. I think lifting is really important okay. for, not only injury prevention, but also like building power. Like you do have to be able to run really fast at the end of a middle distance race to, to make a team or, or to win a race or do well. So yeah, sprinting is important, but 
I can't say I could keep up with a 200 runner in <laughs> <the> sprint <laughs> practice. But it's, it's crazy though, because when, you, when you're watching um, track and field and you're seeing middle distance runners run the last lap and you mm. see the times they're doing, yeah. I'm just thinking, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't even do that for one lap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like we all, I like to joke that middle distance runners, milers, 1500 runners in particular, we all think we have the best finishing speed, which is why we all are like cocky and we race in a pack and no one wants to take the lead. And then everyone is just gutting it out the last 300 meters because they thought they'd be the fastest. I think that happens more in the men's races that I've seen than yeah. the women's, but it happens in both. Um, yeah. But yeah, the speed is so important. Like you have to be able to finish really, really fast. I mean, I'm sure you watched the Olympics, but even in, in the 5K, Sifan Hassan, who won the women's 5K, yeah. she closed in 57 yeah. seconds. It's ridiculous. Like, wow. In a 5K. And that's what you have <laughs> to do on that kind of level. I know. It's incredible. Absolutely so. incredible. Yeah. What about your training partners? Who were some of your best training partners and what were some of the attributes that um, made you want to just um, train with them yeah. um, every day? Yeah. The last three years, my primary training partner has been this woman, Mel Lawrence. Um, she is five years older than me, so a lot a lot more experience. And she has competed professionally in the steeplechase, 3,000 meters with, okay. with barriers and a water jump. <laughs> if you're not familiar, it's yeah. like a horse race. Um, <laughs> and I have learned so much from her in particular. I mean, I've learned a lot from different training partners over the years, but like I've always been so impressed. And I've told her this by her, her like calm and composure. Like, I am just not like that. I'm a very emotional athlete. And you can tell when I'm having a good or a bad day because I'm either like smiling or I'm grimacing and I look terrible. And I never knew how she felt in a workout because she was always so like no emotion on her face. Like, how, mm. how are you doing this? And she'd be like, oh, yeah, I had a really hard one today. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> it didn't really look like it. Like, you looked fine. Um, so So I admire that. And I also like you know, because of my own experiences, like I've admired so many training partners over the years who've had to come back from injuries, um, and come back from, from difficult times or difficult races, um, who've bounced back and who are resilient. And I think Mel's definitely one of them. Um, quite a few of my other teammates, um, Maddie is another one who spent three years injured and then, you know, was like back on the starting line at the Olympic trials after three years of being hurt and and working her way back up. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's wonderful to get to be on a team where everyone, kind of bring something to the table but those are two people that i've you know looked up to a lot for for different reasons yeah because that says a lot about mindset to be to be injured for that period of time and to still have the motivation and the drive to still to push through it it takes a lot because some people will just Mm -hmm. will just call it a day yeah Mm. i know and i i think that people in her circle thought that she should have like hey you know call it good go get a full-time job move on to your next thing and she was stubborn. And you know what? To be a really good athlete, I think you have to be stubborn. Yeah. And so she's like, no, I know I can get better. And the race we we watched her run where she finally ran a personal best after over three years was like, like we all were in tears. <laughs> it was so exciting to see because she'd worked so hard to get back there. And, you know, personal records on the professional level can, can be few and far between. They're just really hard to hit when you, you train so hard and yeah. everything kind of has to perfectly line up. But when you see something like that, it's really inspiring. What I, what I guess for you personally, what has been the best treatment for you uh, in terms of recovery? Because um, you're you're doing a lot of training, and then mm-hmm. you are you know doing whether it's eight hundred or fifteen hundred meters, which is extremely demanding for the body. So, um, how do you recover um, post um, post race? Yeah. Um... Eating and sleeping, which sounds really, really simplistic. My boyfriend's laughing in the background. Um, but I know I told him to be quiet. And he's laughing at me. Um, but but uh, yeah, it's it's really simple. I mean, make sure. I mean, after every workout and race, like eat something good, um, like, you know, fuel yourself, fuel your body and then sleep. I mean, like, I'm not a napper, but I've tried really hard to become one after, like, big races or hard workouts because that's kind of the best way you can you can rebuild. And, you know, there's, like, all sorts of kind of great recovery technology out there. Like, I love my Normatec boots. Um, like, ice baths can be great. Um, so, you know, so can seeing seeing a physical therapist which has been super helpful for me in the past but at the end of the day if you like sleep really well and you feel yourself right then yeah that's that's 90 plus percent of it 
Yeah. One thing that's important is coach and athletes, like the athletes um, relationship. How is your relationship with the coaches that you've had? And in those times, have there, have there ever been periods where it's you've not agreed with what they've put forward to you? Plenty of times. <laughs> I have disagreed with my coaches plenty of times and I've had a lot of coaches um, over the years, um, but I've learned something from from all of them. Um, even even the ones I've not gotten along with quite as well. I mean, like most recently from from my coach, Lauren, who who stepped away from coaching now, but she coached me the last three years. Um, she taught me how to put my health first. I was not good at that. I would run through injury. I'd run through pain. Um, I would do anything to be able to finish a workout because I'd get so frustrated when I'd have to like step away. And she's like, Rebecca, you, you know, there's, there's no point if you can't get to a starting line healthy. She's like, you'd rather get to the starting line than not get to it at all. And she spent, you know, she was a multi-time U.S. champion in the 5K and she spent a lot of her career injured. And so she was very careful to make sure that instead of training on the line, I trained a little bit below the line because you're still going to get better as long as you can be consistent. And I think that that really didn't set in until kind of the last three years of her coaching me of like, you need to do everything you can to stay healthy. Take the two or three days off now <laughs> instead of like taking the six or eight weeks off later because you ran through pain or you ran through a problem. Um, so, you know, I'm not perfect at it. <laughs> I've had to get a lot better, but that's been that's been huge um, in kind of my development and understanding how important consistency is. Doesn't mean I haven't argued with her. <laughs> Doesn't mean I haven't disagreed or she said, hey, you need to take a few days off. And I'm like, oh, come on, like, I'm fine. This is ridiculous. I don't need to take the time off. We've argued about those things. Um, but yeah, it was great. I had another coach who, you know, we like would butt heads from time to time, but I think I learned to love track more because he was so much about the process and being process oriented instead of like, always only thinking about the results and the competitions. And so like I grew to love practice and love the workouts on a day-to-day -day basis far more than just only looking forward to the competition. Um, so yeah, I've gleaned, gleaned a lot over the years and I have wonderful coaches now who like have been in the sport and around, in and around the sport, they're, you know, in their fifties. Um, and I'm sure I'll argue with them too, <laughs> but I also have a lot to learn. Do you have any scenarios where you took advice from a coach that you did not agree with and it actually ended up paying off and the result was actually positive? Yes, um, 100%. Plenty of times I've been proven wrong. Um, <laughs> in, in 2019, I had, uh, it was the week before our like US national championships and there was a, a race I really wanted to run um, a few hours away. And I'd had this little kind of weird hamstring twinging for a few days. And I went to the race anyway. And I really thought, like, I'm going to be fine. I'm, I'm going to do this race. And I was warming up. And I was really lucky that, that a coach was there. She was like, you need to not run this race. And I think you probably need to take a few days off before you go to U.S. Champs. And I'm talking about, like, U.S. Champs I was leaving in, like, less than five days. Like, maybe even four days. Wow. And yeah. I was like in such shock that I was being told not to run this race and then to take days off right before US championships that I, I listened, I didn't run the race, but I was so struggling to like not, you know, not like run, not train. I didn't run a step for five days, six days even until the, the evening before my first race. Um, and I ended up like, I think I ran two miles and did like, didn't even do strides. And I ended up having this like amazing U S championship and my hamstring had healed just in time and, and ended up being a, a, a good thing that I had taken the time off. But at the time I was in such shock, I was told to do this and there was no way I was going to be able to come back and, and run fast. And, um, and yeah, my, my coach was right. That's the thing. Sometimes our body, all it needs is rest. And it's not, yeah. if you've done, if you've prepared and you've done the training and, everything and such things like that, a few days of rest is not gonna, it's not gonna impact it. Yeah. Yeah. But at the time, like I was so, I mean, I still can be like really obsessed with the timeline and needing to like hit, you know, hit all of the workouts and do absolutely everything. It felt like taking five days off would be catastrophic, especially right before mm. the biggest race of my life. And, and it wasn't, it actually was the best thing I could have done. And so now I'm a lot less afraid of, of taking, taking days off when I need to, even if it's right before us championships. 
One of the <laughs> reoccurring themes, <laughs> one of the reoccurring themes from many of our guests, psychologists and athletes, is the whole concept of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, how how has your journey been um, in really understanding, you know, accepting the outcome? Yeah, it's still a journey I'm on. Um, mm-hmm. I the first thing when I finish a race. I think about like what I could have done differently. And even if I win the race and I run a personal best time, which happened a couple of times in the end of my season, I had a really great last few races. I immediately went to like, what could I have have done differently to have run faster, faster or better. And I needed to be called out on that by actually at the, on that day, it was by a teammate um, or by a coach. Um, and I kind of had to ask my coaches and teammates to help me with that. Like, hey, if I get really harsh on myself, like I need you to help check me <laughs> because yeah. when I have a good race, I need to appreciate it. And so I've tried to do a better job like journaling about it and like really appreciating the good moments because you work really hard yeah. for them. Um, that even when I don't want to like accept the results in a way, cause I, I wanted them to be better even on a great day. Um, yeah, I need to, to be able to, to write about it is really helpful for me and write about the good and then write about like the, the three great things about it. And then, you know, a couple things I would like to do for improvement next time. And that has helped me kind of process race results a lot more. Um, I did that after I also finished 11th at the Olympic trials in 1500, um, a race that I really thought I could be, you know, top six, maybe even being contention to make the Olympic team and had a bad day. And it was really hard for me to write about like the good, but there was a lot of good. I just had to take the time to to think about it. So on on both ends, it's important. With with your journey, the Olympic journey, well, the to trying to reach the Olympics. Did you learn anything mm-hmm. um, in that period that you would use going forward? Oh, so much, <laughs> so much. I think I gained so much appreciation for the people in my corner. Um, I had the loudest cheering section, like wonderful coaches, wonderful support, amazing sponsor, like Wazelle and like just the the best people surrounding me that were like there and excited for me no matter what. Like I came into the stands like crying after I had finished 11th. I was so frustrated after, um, after that 1500 final and they were so excited for me and like they're clearly there to just support me and be there for the journey and it almost brought me back to, to high school you know when i would get so harsh on myself and think that everyone else has these expectations for me and really they're just coming from me and that like the people around me are, are kind of proud of me and excited for me no matter what um so that was like a good reminder and really important um but also that like you know, my whole Olympic trials experience, even six weeks before, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to have. And that you never know, like when you put yourself in it and you give yourself a shot, like what could happen? And I ended up running five races in a week <laughs> at the trials, three, three 1500s and, and two 800s. And I, I never could have imagined that my body would be able to get there. Um, but yeah, if you trust yourself and, and trust your training and you believe that you can do it, man, you could, you can do some great things. So a couple things. How important is um, your team in terms of not necessarily just dealing with disappointment, but just throughout your whole journey? How how um, impactful have they been on you? Yeah, I think of team as more than just the the people that I like train with and, and compete around. It's like coaches, it's family, it's you know like partner, or whatever, and. I mean, it's it's so important. Um, I mean, I was just talking about how inspiring it was to watch my teammate Maddie come back from three years of injury. And that inspired me to want to get out there and like run a really good race. And I remember that particular day I'd been sick for a week. Actually, I was yeah. concerned I had, had COVID and it turned out I just had this crappy cold. And, um, and I was like, okay, I wasn't sure I was going to run the race. I watched Maddie do that. And I like, I got my butt on the starting line. And like, I ended up running a personal best by a couple of seconds in a, what I thought was a really bad situation for me. I was racing kind of sick. And it's, I don't know, like when you watch people work through really difficult things, it's, it, I don't know, it's inspiring. <laughs> I'm using that word a lot, but it means a lot. And, mm. um, And, you know, like it's important to have people there too to help pick you up when you're down and help remind you and help check you. Um, As I mentioned in in a story earlier about how I ran a great race and I had to have a teammate check me and like remind me it was great (laughs) when I wanted to be harsh on myself. Um, So, yeah, it's it's really important to surround yourself with great people. 
How are you with social media? Uh, I try. <laughs> I try. I think that I'm I'm not someone who's naturally inclined to like want to be on my social media accounts. It's something that I, I try to do because I know it's like I like kind of having individual connections with people. I'm just less good at formulating posts right. and putting them out there. Um, but I mean, I think it's important. I've like, I mean, I, I our beginning of our conversation, like I saw the power of the Twitter sphere and how like amazing the internet can be in connecting people. And I, I think that I've had kind of individual connections too of, of younger athletes, like telling me like, you know, how much it means that I've shared my story or shared coming back from an injury or shared difficulties or ups and downs. And that, that means a lot. And that makes me want to continue to, to do the social media, even when I feel like it's, you know, it's not my favorite. So yes, that's my, my shortish answer <laughs> to how social media, but it, it can be, it can be really great too. Yeah, I was just listening just before we came on. So I was listening to um, a Joe Rogan podcast and he says, yeah. he was saying to his guests that he does not engage. So he will put a post out, but he will not engage in a comment <laughs> section. And he did acknowledge that, yeah, there were, I'm sure that there are, you know, positive posts, mm -hmm. but it's just, just for his mind um, yeah. and to stay neutral. He just does not want to deal with, um, yeah. with the negative post so how how do you deal with that do you are you are you on the side of joe rogan or are you more of a risk taker and, and, yeah. and you enter the comments uh, no i i will enter the comments and i do comment back to people i try to respond to every message that i get because like i said you never know if it's like some young girl reaching out yeah. like with a question about yeah. training or about body image like something important yeah. but i've had some some really asinine comments on there um uh, when the when the election results the u.s presidential election results came out last november I made this post when when Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris were, were elected uh, president and VP. And I had someone that, that posted and said the election results are fake. Like, I can't believe you would you would say this. This is total BS. Like, you know, Trump president forever. And instead of ignoring it or blocking the comment, I was in the mood of like, OK, I'm, I'm going to comment back. And so I did. And I was like trying to be as understanding as possible. And I was like, look, my DMs are open, like happy to like talk with you about this, like send you kind of educational materials, whatever. And so I did. I had some like discourse with this person over DMs. Didn't really get as far as I would have liked it to. But like, I don't know. I'm always happy to, to respond to folks and, and have a conversation. And I think... I mean, this is a bigger, bigger thing, but I think that we all need to be able to to talk to folks we don't disagree with, or we we don't agree with, or we disagree with, um, because that's how we kind of like move forward. <laughs> so, I I do my best, but it, it can be hard if you have you have a lot of folks who are not happy with something you've said <laughs> or disagree mm. with you. I can I can imagine it, you must get to a point mentally where you you some of the comments that come back you just have to think you know what this is social media i remove myself from this it, don't let it affect my mindset yeah i mean i so during olympic trials i was off of social media entirely i'm like this is gonna be too overwhelming for me yeah. like i can't do this i need to like focus on a lot of racing that i'm about to do and so um my my boyfriend mostly and a little bit of my sister they they took over my my social media accounts and they ran it from their perspective which actually ended up being awesome and, and people loved kind of seeing the like fan slash supporter view yeah. <laughs> of of uh, of what it's like but um yeah i mean typically i do my best to to engage with folks and comment and and respond but i do go through phases of like needing to take a break so so do you ever go into do you ever look for races and think i know this person's going to be there so i want i i want to run this race because then i'm going to run a fast time 100 percent um mm -hmm. i look for races with good fields it's really great if you have like yeah. multiple people that are in there and also yeah. you talk about pace setters but having a really good rabbit like someone who's paid to be in the race and and go to the yeah. front and and push push the field is really great unfortunately i've been in a lot of situations where there's a great rabbit someone who's doing a fantastic job and the field yeah. is not interested in going with the rabbit. Um, usually that's either because the rabbit is going out too fast or like i said you're yeah. in a race where people are very motivated by winning the prize money rather than like running yeah. fast um yeah but yeah having having a great rabbit in a great field i will like usually try to fly anywhere for it's great if it happens on the west coast of the u.s but once in a while yeah. it's on the east coast or it's internationally and, and i'll go for it do you have a nutritionist 
And if you don't, how do you how do you um, deal with, you know, the food intake and you're getting the right minerals and vitamins? Yeah, I've worked with um, several nutritionists kind of over my career, one that I worked and I learned from in college and then a couple that I've now talked to um, as a pro. I don't work with someone regularly um, and and maybe it's something I should think about, think about or change. But I think. I've learned a lot that has like I've, I've implemented into my training that's been really helpful. Um, one thing in particular is like making sure I always have a snack or like something substantial to have as soon as I'm done running or working out. Like it is so important to like fuel as soon as possible so your body doesn't continue to be in a deficit. Um, but I just try to eat like in general balanced meals and eat when I'm hungry like I've learned over time, like, you know, maybe don't eat a ton of the processed stuff, like make sure you eat vegetables and like lean <laughs> meats and, and good proteins and carbs and stuff. But um, yeah, that's that's an area in which I feel like I I know to fuel after workouts and I just try to do and eat everything in, in moderation and, and fuel myself. And that's that's gone over quite well <laughs> over time. Mm. But yeah, whenever I do have questions, um, I'm, I'm right now trying to figure out like a new kind of protein drink or something to have after after workouts. I'm going to reach out to a nutritionist that I know and ask, but um, every athlete's different. I know folks who work with a nutritionist, I talk with almost every week and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, yeah, I, I use a nutritionist when, when I want to, not on a regular basis. It's, it's amazing how what we eat can really affect our performance. I've noticed mm-hmm. it probably more the older I've got. So yeah. for example, if I eat processed foods and I'm going to yeah. do any sport that day, I know <laughs> it's not going to be a great day. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, one thing I did learn that was interesting was if you're going to have a bunch of sugar or stuff that's not the best for you, the best time to have it is right after you work out because your body will process yeah. it the fastest and it will be like out of yeah. your system quicker. Um, it'll break down the sugar better. So fun fact. Um, but mm. I, yeah, I mean, I try not to eat a whole lot of processed and sugar stuff, but no. I mean, I, I love dessert, especially this time of year when I'm not racing and I'm just getting back into training. Like I have dessert and wine and beer, like a lot more often than <laughs> I would have it in the middle of season. Like I probably yeah. had one drink in like a couple of months even, but that was yeah. my choice. And, um, I have, I still have dessert <laughs> quite often, like a few times a week, but <laughs> right now it's pretty consistent <laughs> every day, but that'll, that'll shift. I just, I think for <laughs> me, for talking about sustainability and consistency, like I know the things I need to do in order to run well and the things I need to, the kinds of things I need to eat. Um, but also I need to have like balance and I need to be able to, to eat the things I want when I want to have them, um, for the most part. So that's but that's me everyone's different um so in the last i would say last decade there's been an explosion on information in and around uh, meditation so my next question is um do you meditate and if you don't or so if Mm -hmm. you do um what's your process um in meditating and how often do you do it if you don't um what are some of the other ways that keeps you in a i guess a zen um Mm -hmm. mindset yeah, so I have tried um, meditating before. I don't do it by any means on a regular basis um, from yeah. time to time. I think I definitely use meditation techniques when I'm like at a race and I need to like kind of find the calm and the zen um, right yeah. before right before you know a starting line. And I have a couple of breathing techniques that I'll use if I'm feeling like I really need to kind of calm myself down and focus. Um, but yeah, for me, like I really it helps me a lot to write things down. Um, so although that isn't maybe in meditation technique, like it is a way for me to kind of like cope and be able to process like what has happened or what's kind of about to happen. And so I keep a, keep a training journal that, um, yeah, yeah, I just, Mm -hmm. I write, (laughs) I write down like the good days, the bad days and everything in between and, and reflect in, which is really helpful. Do you, do you also write down what you want to happen? Oh yeah. So that's, Oh yeah, yeah. goals. Um, The one that I've used is called a Believe Training Journal and it kind of allows you to set an intention for the week. And that could be like different every week, whether you have a race or training or even taking a break. Um, And then a little section to write about like day by day. And then also like reflect on what are some things that went well in the week or what are some things that like you'd like to improve upon. And I really like to take that model as well when I kind of write about races and, and reflect on races. Um, and it's really fun to look back actually and see like, how was I feeling before this race that went really well? 
and how was I feeling before a race that didn't go so well? Um, and then what can I learn from that? So I like having that, that diary per se to, to look back on and see. Do you have, um, do, or rather, do you use um, visualization? In, in a sense, I had really never like spent a lot of time like thinking through the, the like mental side of sport until like I got hurt in college and then even more so as a pro. Um, yeah. I spent a lot of time on in college on this thing called an alter gravity treadmill, which we were very lucky to have, but I was constantly coming back from injury and this stupid treadmill faced a cement wall. So you were on this treadmill running inside these like sometimes sweaty shorts that someone had already worn before you that you had to put on. It was like really disgusting staring at a cement wall. Mm -hmm. And so I would spend a lot of time like imagining what it would be like to run in the NCAA championships. So we're in like two months or three months and how I was going to get back there and like what it was going to feel like. And so then I feel like I would approach a race knowing in kind of like my heart and my mind, like what it's like to get to the place I want to get to. Um, That and the other practical thing that I've done in the last several years is think about a race mantra. Like I talk about taking those like deep breaths and calming myself down if I'm, if I really need it before a race, but also like having a really simple thing you can repeat to yourself to remind yourself, like, you know, you can do it. (laughs) Like you're, you're, you're here to get after it. Um, and one for me that has really stuck over the last couple of years is, is give it a go because, you know, you got to give yourself a chance at every opportunity yeah. you have. And, and if you, yeah. you know, you miss a hundred percent of the chances you're or hundred percent of the, yeah, I think it's chances you, you don't take, uh, or shots you don't take. So yeah, I'm really, really a fan of, of that. And that's really helped even in a race when I'm having a moment of doubt to like bring myself back to that phrase and remind myself. What would you say are the biggest things that you've learned that you would advise to any person who's looking to get into into middle distance running? Biggest thing I've learned. Oh man, that's a that's that's really tough. I've learned so many things. I mean, I think the biggest one I wish that I had been able to know even when I was in high school is like it's it's hard. <laughs> like it's really hard to to do the training and and to do the racing, but like when you get to to race, allow that to be the fun part. Allow that to be the time in which you get to like reap the rewards of all the work you've put in instead of like have it be this kind of like beast on your back or a shadow that follows you. And I think when I was able to kind of shift my mindset to feel like racing was was the time to shine (laughs) rather than like what, what made me really nervous was when I really started to enjoy the sport and why like I'm almost 27 and I like love track and field more than ever before. And mm. so, yeah, I think it's really simple, but like having fun is so important. Interesting. Um, so my last question is quite interesting with your last point about it being fun. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure that probably might be um, part of your answer. So when I listen to a lot of self-development interviews, um, mm-hmm what I like is they always mention about your why. So when the going really gets tough, it's your why that's really gonna kind of get you out of bed. So I guess my last question to you is, when you don't, you do not wanna go to training, um, maybe when you were injured, what was your why? What was getting you up? What was getting you back on track? Yeah, I've always wanted to see like, what the limits of my body can do like how fast can i get and it's this like really pure like simple thing that that really drives me and i knew that you know in those times in which i'd been injured or even now like as i start back into training like i can run faster (laughs) than i have and like i can do big things in the sport and for me now one that's kind of developed over the last like couple of years is i want to be able to make my mark on track and field and like in 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 the sense of of do good for the sport and like help it grow as it's helped me grow and mm. for me those are those are my whys <laughs> like my why for a long time has been like see how fast i can i can be but also like how can i can give back to the sport and leave it better than than i found it yeah. you know what this is gonna sound so random but you just got me thinking but when you started mentioning about um your body um would you ever try ultra running 
<laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's that's a totally separate world from track and field. Even when people ask me like, "Oh, you're a distance runner, so you run the marathon, right?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> I've never even run longer than 14 miles in my life." So, I mean, who knows? I will never never limit like what what I might do someday. Possibly, I definitely will run a marathon at some point in my life. I don't know that I'll be competitive mm. about it, um, yeah. but who knows? Maybe maybe I'll run an ultra too. So. I'll just see where the journey of the sport takes me. But for now, I'm really trying to run fast in events between 800 and 3,000 meters. Absolutely. Um, yeah. have, you, have you written that goal down that you want to um, run a marathon one day? That's a good question. I'm not sure that I have. It's just something that when someone has asked me, I've said, yes, like, yeah. I'd like to run a marathon. And in my mind, yeah. I think I'd like to break three hours in a marathon. Um, yeah which is, you know, a hefty-ish goal in itself. Um, it's free, not, not easy to do. I definitely would have to train for it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's just, that's a kind of like for fun, a someday goal. I think I'm really taken right now with like the goals that I want to accomplish on the track. And then also like while I have these next few years to still compete on the track, like, like I said, what can I do for the sport? Like how yeah. can I move the needle yeah. in, in, a, in a positive way for USA track and field and for the sport in general and for youth in the sport? So yeah, that's that's where I'm, what, I'm, I'm, what I'm doing now, but someday I'll let you know yeah. when I do pursue <laughs> that marathon. For yeah. sure, for sure. Um, Rebecca, how can anyone get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, my uh, DMs are always open on, on Instagram. Um, I don't check Facebook as much, so maybe not there, but Instagram. And then also my email is connected um, via my Instagram. So feel free to, to reach out. Like I said, I do my best to, to respond to everyone. So if you have questions or, or anything, I'm, I'm around. Yeah. Okay, Rebecca. Um, I guess on behalf of myself and Edwin, yeah, this was a really, really good podcast. Um, we've got a lot of information out of you. Really, a lot of key gems actually, and oh, something that um I'm gonna take from you. I think one of the things I'm gonna take from you is about um after training and having to recover so quickly. So usually when I'm going to the gym, <laughs> I'm usually eating about an hour, an hour and a half after. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even thinking. So um yeah, I've, I'm definitely gonna take that on board and probably, you know, bring a snack with me. So yeah, yeah. I really, really appreciate the gem that you shared with both myself and Edwin, yeah. but equally um with the audience. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This is awesome. Loved your questions. Really got to like dive into my like thought and my thoughts and processes in track and field a whole lot more than I have before. So that that was fun to to kind of be challenged and have to think about it. But you guys are awesome. Thanks for having me on and hopefully, you know, chat again soon. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, thank you. Okay, okay guys, until next time, stay healthy, stay blessed. Peace.